Okay, turn with me in your Bibles. I'm in, I'm ready to preach this. I'm glad you turned up because I would have preached it anyway. <laughs> I would have. I, ah, hallelujah. I would have preached it and then run around and taken an offering for myself and said, hallelujah. But it is good you are here because I can minister and share what's on my heart for us and then you can. Um, now you, your job is to just put your faith out there to say, Lord, let, let's get hold of this. Let's let's grow in this. Let, already, I love what Brother Jerry shared last week. You know, by you, you put your faith out even early. You don't listen to it and say, Well, I'll just work out later whether I want to believe this. No, no, you've set your faith. This is the word of God. You say, if it's in the word, I'm a hundred percent in. I'm fully in. I'm Lord. I am. I am. I am part of this. This is my heart. And um, I want us to look at Psalm ninety. Um, and we just, and I just trust in the Holy Spirit, just going to guide us through how to do this because He's got a great way of bringing it all together. Psalm 90. Um, I'm very familiar, and I've always been very familiar with Psalm 91, a psalm of God's protection, and, and I've preached from Psalm 91. We, we, we quote Psalm 91 every day as a family. Christine and I declare it proclaim it, Psalm 91, I have to say I was not as familiar with Psalm 90, you know, because in the Psalms, they're just individual Psalms, so it's not like being really familiar with, you know, Ephesians 4, but never having read Ephesians 3, that, that wouldn't make any sense, because it's one book of Ephesians, which we've divided into separate, but, you know, with Psalms, it's like, yeah, I, I can fully focus on a Psalm and, and not really be aware of what the Psalm is before or after, so... Um, but just recently, last uh, few weeks, um, I have been drawn to this psalm. Um, you know, when it, it, I don't know where this works with happens with you or just me because my you know the teaching gift that's in me. Whether this is just the way the Lord works with me, I'll read something, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's good. You know, that's just nice. It's the word of God, so you're not going to say that's bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, so you read it and you think, yeah, that's nice. That's good. And um, yeah, that, that's good. And it's like the Spirit says, oh, you haven't got it. I'm like, well, you know, I'm just moving on. The Spirit says, no, you're not. So I just read it again. That's, that's still good, but I don't. And, and then, but it's like it, something goes off in my spirit that says there's something here. And if you will dig and pray and dig, you'll find it. And um, so, you know, so I went back and I read Psalm 87 and 80. Sorry, 88, 89, because there were some of the commentary said that maybe Psalm 90 was a response to those. And, and as I've studied, ah, oh, something's just come alive in me. And it's this thing that particularly took my attention. And then when Brother Jerry, a last Sunday night, prayed for the um, impartation of favor upon us as a, a fellowship, because something just connected, because Psalm 90 finishes with this. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And to confirm for us the work of our hands, yes, confirm the work of our hands. Now, this had already, this had already taken my attention before any of this. You notice that the last two lines are repeated. Confirm for us the work of our hands, and then it says, yes, confirm for us the work of our hands. Well, I'll tell you the word yes is not in the original Hebrew. That's added by the English translators. Uh, 
You're seeing, getting excited. Some of your faces are turning up. Yes, that word yes is not in the original Hebrew because they, they put it in there in the English to try and make sense of this because it's not something otherwise you would read. Um, do confirm for us the work of our hands, confirm the work of our hands, and you'll think, oh, it's a typo. It's a, <laughs> it's a little glitch. It's a repeat. So they put yes to show that it's on purpose. But you have to realize how the book, how, how um, ancient languages work um, with Hebrew and, and even the Greek language. When they were originally written, they were, they, they, um, there was a, a um, how can I say this? Condensed space. Everything was, you, you, didn't, you didn't just have lots of paper free, you know, you didn't, couldn't type, you know, lots of words. Everything was, you know, really important. So, you, so the languages were very condensed. And languages and alphabets were being developed. And so, whereas we have in the English, um, we call them uppercase and lowercase based on the printing press, you know, uppercase was the ones that you get from the upper... Didn't you any, have you ever not realised this, where we get the word uppercase and lowercase for capital? And it's because uppercase came from the uppercase and lowercase came from the lowercase when they did the first printing press. Okay, so just be grateful if they'd put the boxes around in a different way, uppercase would be the small letters and lowercase would be the big letters. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's how they got that name, uppercase and lowercase. But their, their languages didn't have upper and lowercase. They were generally what we would call uppercase. Um, in fact, if you're reading the original Greek uh, manuscripts, when they were writing, they wrote all in uppercase, there was no lowercase, all uppercase, no spaces, just condensed it all together. And um, and it's just you know you say sort of, how can I read that? But you, you can so you can get by. When if you actually do it in English, you can make it work. Um, can you show the Hebrew, Jordan, or, or who's on the Josh? Sorry. Oh no no the actual I, I did a slide. There should be a slide with some Hebrew scrolls there. If that's not there, I'll just tell you about it. Okay, I I, I had some manuscripts up here to show you what it looks like when Hebrew wrote it, and. Um, it's a little bit like when we first did texts. Um, when 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 the first text happened, everything was condensed again. Remember, you had only a certain number of characters, and you lost any ability to format your text. So, what would happen if you said something that you wanted to be really important? You, you can't put bold and you can't put underline. <laughs> you lost that. In fact, you lost a little bit of how, you know, people, how do they know what I'm meaning? So they started putting something on the end, which is a colon and a dash and a, and a closed bracket, which was people really old and say, what in the world is that? That was the first emoji. You know what I mean? The colon for the eyes, the dash for the nose, and, the, and you look on the side, it's a smiley face. So if I said something and put that on the end, you know I'm happy. But if I put an open bracket, you know I'm unhappy. If I put something, you know, and they had all these phrases and then, so why did they do that? Because in, in sending a text, you couldn't, you couldn't put a bold or you couldn't put an underline. You couldn't do those things. So we had to do other things. So what do you do in a language where when you're writing it down, there is no bold, there is no underline. You can't even do uppercase letters to say, I'm shouting this because if everything's uppercase, we're shouting everything. So there, there, you know, what, what do you do in that language? How do you bring emphasis? And there's no punctuation. 
They didn't have punctuation, so you can't put exclamation marks. You can't, you, you've got a language which you want to express something, but you can't use the normal language. So one of the, the, the methods that used in bringing emphasis is repetition. If you ever see something repeated in the Bible, it's often because they're trying to bring your attention to it and to get you to say, oh, that's really important. Or I'm, I'm trying to say this with great emphasis. And, um, and sometimes they're trying to build. And it's used in Hebrew poetry. You know, there's a sense of emphasis. They, you know, um, they'll repeat lines but put it a little bit different. That's a, sort of a building an understanding and building a concept. But when they just building, when they just repeat the same word, it's often because they're trying to like that. That's like putting it in bold or putting an undercase, uh, uh, underline. And there's a sense where they're trying to say something. That's why when um, uh, Isaiah saw the the vision, and he saw the angels around the seraphim, and they're going holy, holy, holy. The idea is everyone reading that realizes this is a really big thing to be saying. This is, oh, don't just think of holy, think of holy. Oh, say it three times. Can you imagine what, you know, so you've got to stop and, and you've got to see how big this word is, how, how, how great is the concept, how, how large is what's being said because it's said and repeated. The repetition means over. So I've always known this. I already had, before I'd studied the last few weeks, I already had this. Um, highlighted in my Bible, the fact that it finishes with a repeat. It says that the, the, the psalmist, in writing this, really wants you to pay attention to this. It's really important. It's got his whole attention. He finishes with it, and if he could do it today, you'd put it all in uppercase and underline it in bold. Right? You know, you'd, only, you'd only write it once, but you would do a whole lot to it so that when you could see it, when I get to this, my eye is drawn to it. I say, well, he's really, he really wants me to pay attention. This, this line has got to stand out from the other lines. It's really important. And you look at the importance, it says, confirm the work of our hands. And like, oh, I can see why you want to put that in bold and up again. No, you say, that's not one of the best-known psalms, songs, verses that I can think of. I can think of a hundred th things more punchy to finish than this. Um, so that's been that's what began after Brother Jerry shared and talked about the impartation of favor. It was like, ah, this is why this was this was meant to be something that was really so important. Then the, the second part, and this is something I hadn't picked up on, probably was aware of it, but just, you know, you, know, see, you see things and you don't realize the significance. I know that just about, you know, when I think of a psalm, we all know who wrote the psalms. Who wrote the psalms? David. King David wrote the psalms. But we know he didn't write them all, but he just wrote all the ones that I think of, like Psalm 1 through to Psalm 150. I actually don't know the ones he doesn't write. You know, I'm sure he wrote most of them. But there was other people I found, we were doing our life group, and I was reading the other day, um, and let me see, I think it's Psalm, Psalm 89, and I sent this in our life group chat because Ethan is in our life group chat, and it says, Psalm 89 is a masculine of Ethan. There's right. I said, Ethan, you wrote a psalm. <laughs> I didn't know that. I knew David wrote psalms, but I didn't know Ethan wrote a psalm. Well done. Go, Ethan. 
And um, Psalm uh, 88 um, was a masculine of Heman, the Ezraite. Go Heman, who would know? Psalm 87 is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Okay, so there's others. But then Psalm 90 is, is written by Moses. I'm like, ah, I sort of think, you know, if, if someone had challenged me in a Bible quiz competition, I probably might have known that, but I wouldn't have known which psalm and I wouldn't have, known any, I wouldn't have put much significance on it. Um, something interesting that I only learnt this morning, driving over in the car, I was talking, I had Caleb and Brooke with me, and we we're talking about this, and, uh, and Jordan. Oh, don't, don't forget this shot. <laughs> Always remember Jordan. Um, and Caleb said, I, I think Psalm 91 was written by Moses as well. He said, I've heard that. I'm like, I can't remember. I remember I've studied it, thought. And um, Psalm 91, if you look at it, it doesn't have a written by. And so I thought, oh, so I actually did a quick check and, and looked up... Um, just when I got here first thing this morning, I looked up by um, Charles Spurgeon's got the treasury of Psalms, um, treasury of David. All the, he does an amazing commentary on Psalms, and he starts off Psalm 91 saying that the, um, some of the, the, the original sort of Jewish scholars, they said because there's no name given for Psalm 91, you're meant to presume that Psalm 90, the name Moses, is for, continues on to Psalm 91. So Psalm 90 and 91 are written by Moses. They said, you know, you can't be, you can't, you know, can't be certain of it, but it is a possibility. So possibly Moses wrote Psalm 90 and 91, which would make a bit of sense to me because they both start very similar, and I can see why that would be. But that's not the important thing for the moment. Psalm 90, though, is written by Moses. What sort of psalm would Moses write? Now, most people think, ah, oh, Psalms are pretty easy to write. You say, praise God, glory to God, life's tough, the enemy comes, but I praise God and we get the victory. Psalm written. We'll make it a bit more flourishing than that. We'll throw in some, you know, extra challenges and some ups and downs. But eventually that, that's what a Psalm is. So you think, what sort of Psalm should Moses write? Oh, praise God, we went through the Red Sea. Praise God, he's leading us through. Praise God. And then I read Psalm 90 and like, whoa, what is happening with this guy? First, I was reading it and without really thinking that Moses wrote it. And I was thinking, what is happening with this person? Then I'm looking at it in light of, well, what is Moses writing? Then I've spent a bit of time thinking about and going back and looking at the life of Moses and at what stage of his life he was at and what he was thinking and what was going through his head that he would come and write a psalm like this and what was happening that he would get to verse 17 and say, this is the summary of my psalm, what I'm writing. It's the fact that the favor, he says, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and let him confirm the work of our hands. Let him confirm the work of our hands. Where, how did he get to this point? Why was this such a leading this? The next thing I noticed is that it's not a psalm of Moses. If you look at the very start, right before verse 1, it has a little intro, and it doesn't say, probably, and we, I don't know whether it shows it on, um, yeah, Psalm 91. This starts there, but on, in your Bible, you'll probably notice there's a little intro. It doesn't say a psalm of Moses, the man of God. It says a prayer of Moses, the man of God. 
This is not a song. This is a prayer. That last part is the summary of his prayer. And if you look at it, it says, and let the favor. It's actually a request. It's something he's crying out. This is something he is crying out for. So I want us to take this a moment, get back into Moses' mindset, where he's at and what he's going through, what he's facing, then look at this and find out just why this is so important. Because this was a psalm written up until the people were about to step into the promised land. Because that was Moses. Moses' life finished when they went into the promised land. This was a psalm to launch the people into the promised land. And we, as Christians, according to the New Testament, it says, hey, our life is just like entering that promised land, laying hold of all the provisions that God has got, driving out the enemy that's in that place, just the same as they went in that promised land, we go into our promised land. This is the prayer for the people about to go into the promised land. So it's very significant for us. And why did he shout this last line? Why was this so important to him? So we go back and we'll look at Moses and we'll start to think about some things from Moses' point of view. When I studied Deuteronomy many years ago, you know, 20 years ago I started you know, this process and um, I just got this impression. See, um, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch, five books. And um, it's the story of creation and then the story of Abraham being chosen of God. Then it's the story of the children of um, Abraham's literal children. And then eventually um, you had Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob had 12 children. And the 12 children and their descendants, well, and those 12 became known as the tribes of Israel. Each of the names of the children became a tribe, um, except Joseph. How many of you remember the tribe of Joseph? Have you ever heard of the tribe of Joseph? Was he one of Isaac's, uh, Jacob's children? Have you ever wondered why, how come Jacob didn't get no tribe? No one's ever thought of that? Uh, because Jacob, Joseph had two children, and they became half-tribes. So there's actually 13 tribes of Israel, 11 and two half-tribes. I think they're Manasseh and Ephraim, if I, my memory is right. So um, you think, what in the world has that got to do with anything? It's important. You need to know it later. Tuck that away. You need to know that. So then, and, but then Jacob and his children and his descendants went down into Egypt where they were for hundreds of years, 400 years, and they grew large. And um, the Egyptians started to be quite concerned. They said, you know, so they put them into bondage, put them into slavery, made them they're, they're, uh, with a harsh um, slavery. And eventually the children of Israel began to cry out to God, set us free. And God came to a man called Moses. And he said, you're going to be the one I've chosen to set the people free. And so Moses went to Pharaoh and Pharaoh said, yeah, you can take all our millions, our million slaves and walk off and, you know, and um, we'll just... We'll just get by. No, he said, you're not taking our slaves. He said, and if you've got this much time to talk about things, about going free, we'll make life harder for you just to make sure that you don't talk about this again. And so God sent 10 plagues to, to, to deal with the, the hard-hearted Pharaoh to eventually they got to the point where they released them. 
and not just release them, but release them with such favor upon them. It says that everybody, you could go to your Egyptian master and say, I want that, and they would give it to you. I want all your money. They said, you can have it. I want your jewelry. You can have it. They actually just poured out the wealth of Egypt. They were, so, they were, such, they were like, just have it and go. And, you know, and God had a plan for that. It was already God, Abraham had seen this in vision 400-plus years earlier. He had seen a vision where God said they'll go out with the wealth of Egypt. And so they go out into the wilderness, and the first thing they met is they go into a, what looks like a dead end, the Red Sea. And um, Pharaoh says, what was I thinking to let them go? So he sends his troops after them. And it says, the idiots, they've gone into, the, they've gone into a dead end. These, 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 these Israelite slaves are just stupid. They've, they haven't even escaped where they could get out. They've just gone, and, and now they're trapped. And so he says, this is good. And, these, and the Israelites were looking at Moses like, what have you done to us? God sent them a pillar of fire by night to watch over them and a, and a cloud during the day. So he says, I'll take care of you. And when the troops came... God moved the fire and just put it before the Egyptians so they, they couldn't get through. They couldn't do anything. And then during that night, God told Moses, you take this rod that I've given you, hold it over the ocean, hold it over the waters, and it parted, and then God sent a wind to dry it. Because, you know, if you just wet, open it up, it's going to be wet and muddy. He dried it, made a path through. And the psalm says that God saw a path through where there was no path. You know, everyone else just saw water. God said, there's a part here where if you come here. So we, everyone else saw a dead end. God said, that's the entrance into the promised land. I just got to move these waters out. And we've used that so many times. When I'm standing the edge of a, a ridiculous situation that is, this cannot happen, I say, well, God, there's a path through. We never say that this is a dead end. We say there's a path through. And God supernaturally has opened to us path after path that I couldn't see it and I wouldn't have known it, but God has opened it. So they come through. And now they're about to go into the promised land. Moses is leading them. The people are a little bit grumpy. Every now and again they say, oh, you brought us in the desert to kill us. So he has to get them food and water and eventually God gives manna and all sorts of things. But they come to one key point very early on where Moses is about, it says, we're going to lead them in. And they say, we should send out spies. Moses said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So every tribe, pick one. Pick one. Pick one person from your tribe. And um, so Joshua was one of the, the spies. His name was um, uh, Yeshua. No, um, Hoshia. His name was different, if you didn't know that. And um, it, it meant, means salvation. And they changed his name. Moses changed his name to Joshua. It means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh will save us. Anyway, the, these 12 tribes, and there was another famous um, spy sent out, Caleb. Before he was a member and, and led us in worship, Caleb was a spy. All right, kids, you can ask him later about his life as a spy. Um, so they sent them out and said, go and look at the land, tell us, you know, get, get the lie of the land. And they came back and said, it's an amazing land, you know, whoa, fertile, amazing, except it is already inhabited, people. It's not just there for the taking, it's... And the, the people there are in big walled cities. These are not easy to defeat people. And there are giants in the land, strong, mighty warriors. And they said, we cannot defeat them. In fact, in Deuteronomy, Moses said, you were scared for your kids. He said, if we go in there, our kids will be killed. 
You said, you said we're scared for our children. We will not take them in. All right, that's significant. So they, they said, we can't. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, we can. God is on our side. Don't worry about how big they are. They carried back this bunch of grapes so big that it took two men to carry it between a pole. They said, this is how amazing it is. And our God who's led us here will give us the victory. And their people said, oh, yeah, Joshua and Caleb, you're such wise men. We will... No, they said, we're not listening to you. We listened to the ten. Democracy is always a little bit dangerous. Ten over two, it must be right. No, ten over two, you know, multiple just doesn't mean right, it just means more. And um, I always tell that when government I don't vote for gets in. <laughs> yeah, hallelujah. Anyway, so um, they people say, we're not going in. We are not going in. And Moses said, what do you mean you're not going in? They said, well, we can't take it. And Moses was like annoyed, but more so God was annoyed. And something significant happened. God said, all right, if, you, if you're trying to protect your children, your children will go in and I'll keep them safe. This is why, so, they, so in Deuteronomy, God, God said, the people said, we've got to protect our children. God said, I will send the children in and I will protect them. How did he do that? Did he, you know, like, did child, you know, say, I don't remember the part where child warriors went in. He said, we'll wait 40 years till the children have grown and I will see to it that everybody over the age of 20 dies in that 40 years. And then I will take the children and I will take them in and they will get the victory. But you won't get the victory. You did this because of fear, but you won't see it, but I will do it for your children. So you, for 40 years, 40 years, they wander. God says, okay, they went, they went around the mountain three times. It says, God says, enough of this. Back out into the wilderness. Out there, they had to get manna to feed them. They had to live for 40 years. They had to follow the cloud by day and the, the pillar um, and the fire by night. They'd camp as long, God, as long as God said camp. And then when the, cl the cloud would move, they'd pack up and move. They couldn't travel any distance away from because the manna was just there. It was just a very confined movement through. But the God gave them favor and protection and watched over them. But they couldn't conquer the land there. God told them, you are not to conquer these nations because these nations I've given. Your nation, your land is on the other side. You've got to wait till you get on the other side. Then you can conquer. Then you can own. But you're not allowed to conquer these nations. You've got to walk through. You've got to pay for what you're, you're taking and using and the way through. In the meantime, so that something else happened, something very significant. There was a point where they, the Israelites were out in the wilderness before all this had happened, and um, they had no water, and they cried to Moses, and they complained and murmured and said, you know, you brought us out here to kill us, there's no water. God said to Moses, I'll tell you what you do, I want you to take that rod, remember that rod that you put out over the um, Red Sea? I want to take that rod now, the rod of God, and I want you to hit a rock. I want you to strike a rock. Now rocks, you know, to me it's just a rock, but you know, a rock, it was very symbolic in the Old Testament, very symbolic in their thinking. A rock meant God. Who is your rock is the phrase. In fact, Moses leads them in a song, not just the psalm, but he actually, he actually wrote a song in Deuteronomy 
a line, a song. We'll get to it in a minute. He wrote a song, and in that he talks about the rock. The rock, God is our rock, and the idols are not our rock, but when we trusted in those rocks, you know, it's all about rocks, rock, 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 God, God, false gods, true gods. So when God said, hit a rock, he said, hit me, and I will supply. And it was a picture, because in the New Testament, it talks about the fact that Jesus is our rock, and God was saying, I'm just giving you a little picture. One day I'm going to send the rock and you're going to hit him on the cross and out of him will pour all the life that you need. And so Moses is like, oh yeah, I hit the rock and the water comes out and everyone's happy. A little bit later on, the people are murmuring again because they're in another place. There's no water. And Moses is annoyed. And it says, Moses said, well, do you want me to give you water again? Because God said this time, he said, Moses, I'll tell you what to do. Speak to the rock and water will come forth. And it says, Moses came and he said, oh, do I have to, how long do I have to put up with you guys? Do you need me to give you water? I, I don't think Moses has given anybody water personally. And he says he took his rod and he hit his rod and hit the rock and water gushed out. But you're not allowed to, God says, you are spoiling my illustration. Jesus is not going to die on the cross twice. I told you to speak to that, not to hit it. You, it was not just an act of frustration. Later on in Deuteronomy, God says, you were faithless. It, it was, a, 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 what was the right word? It was an act of betrayal. You betrayed me in your faith when you did that. Very significant. And God says, because of that, you also are not going into the promised land. So now we've got, all the adults from 20 years and up not going in, and now Moses not going in. There's only two people that are allowed to go in. Who are that? Caleb and Joshua, the only ones that survive. Something happened in Moses, and when you read through the book of Deuteronomy, so Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, talks about that, talks about the building of a temple, um, a tabernacle, about the giving of the law, all those other things. And then Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy second, the second telling. And this is when now towards the end of the 40 years, there's a retelling of everything. There's a reminder to everybody. There's a reminder, it's towards the end. And if you read Deuteronomy, and this is my, this is my opinion, I think Moses is grumpy. I honestly think he's grumpy and unhappy with how things have gone. He's very mad with the people. Because... Well, if we just read Deuteronomy 3. Uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 3. And he's repeating this story. So Deuteronomy, he repeats all this, tells them about what's happened. Um. Verse 23, and then he says this to the people. I also pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, Oh, Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong right hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond Jordan, that the good hill country in Lebanon. He says, please let me go into the promised land. This is Moses pleading with God. Please. Please, I've seen your goodness. I've seen your great. Please, I just want to go in. I just want to go in. And he's telling the people this. 
but the Lord was angry with me on your account. On your account. And would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough. Speak to me no more of this matter. Wow. How often had he spoken to God? Please, please let me in. Please let me in. God said, stop asking me. You're not going in. Whoa. And he says, he wouldn't let me in because of you. Did you hear that? Mm-hmm. I heard that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 1. A lot of the things I've said came from Deuteronomy chapter 1. Um, but let's just have a quick look at it. We'll just read verse 37. You can go around. This is where it talks about Caleb and Joshua. It talks about the children not going, you know, and all the rest. But in verse 37, it says, The Lord was angry with me also on your account, saying, Not even you shall enter there. Can I, can I just ask, does anyone remember why Moses was not allowed in? Because he hit the rock. But he said, because you were so disobedient and you were so rebellious, I couldn't go in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, chapter 4, verse 21. If you, don't, if you think this is just a short, you know, this is anomaly. Verse um, 20, the Lord God has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace from Egypt to be a people for his own possession as today. Now the Lord was angry with me on your account and swore that I should not cross the Jordan and I should not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. For I shall die in this land. I shall not cross the Jordan, but you shall cross and take possession of this good land. So watch yourself. Lest you forget the covenant. He's mad with his people. They've robbed him of going into the promised land. Um, why is he not going into the promised land? Anyone remember? Because he struck the rock. But they forced him into it. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? Yeah. The devil made me do it. Well, he's talking about the people, but that's probably, you know... <laughs> Maybe it's a similar sort of thing. I don't know what your family's like, but if you want to say the devil made me do it. <laughs> um, okay. Angry, upset, rebellious people. And he doesn't see, they, they keep murmuring and complaining and whining in the 40 years. People's hardly learned the lesson. Only two people are doing a decent job, Joshua and Caleb. But this is something I hadn't taken into account. Do you know how old Moses is? Well, we know how old he was when he died, and we know he spent 40 years in the wilderness. So if you're any good at maths, you will be able to work this out. Let's go and look at Deuteronomy 34. Verse 5, Moses the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. He buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, but, the, but, but no man knows his burial place to this day. Although Moses was 120 years old when he died, his eye was not dim, nor his vigor abated. He was full of life. He could have kept going. That's what it's saying. He did not die because he was old. He was ready to go into the promised land. He died because his time was cut short. 
120. He's no wuss. He's strong. A 120-year-old man who's strong, full of vivor, can see clearly, hear clearly. He's good. Do you know what I mean? He's not old and frail. He's full of energy. How old were Joshua and Caleb by this stage? Well, we know about five years into um, being in the promised land. Let's see if I can find it quickly. Um, Caleb was 85. Um, let's see if I got, I'll, I'll find the reference for you to see if you can do these sums. So this is once they, when, when they've gone into the promised land. Um, num, um, Joshua 14, verse 7. Caleb, this is Caleb speaking. I was 40 years old when Moses and the servant, Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word back to him as it was in my heart, full of faith report. Um... Verse 10, and now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke, he let me live. Do, do, you, do you understand how big that statement is? He's let me live. It's only two people that can say that. Only two people of his age were let live. He let me live. He let me live just as he spoke. Now these 45 years, so the 40 years of the wilderness and five years into this process of taking the land. From that time, the Lord spoke to this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I'm 85 years old today. Done the sums well. I am still as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and for going out and coming in. I am 85, and I'm as fit as I was back then. I'm not an old man. I'm old in number, but I am strong. I am full of vitality. Moses at 120 was full of vitality. What was the average expected lifespan of people? Obviously, living to 85 and being strong was not unusual in terms of it was not like never heard of, you know, 100, 110, 120. That was what they expected. What would it be like? And this is what I never, and I don't want to, sorry to have to make you think about this, but what would it be like to live amongst a group of people that were dying healthy and strong next to you, left, right, and center. Because everyone above the age of 20 in the next 40 years died. Not weak, not old, in the prime of their life, dying. I'd never thought about it. At the end of 40 years, Moses is in a not a good headspace. His whole generation has died around him. How old do they get to be? Some of them 70. Some of the stronger ones maybe 80. But they're all cut off. That's short. They're all cut short. They're all cut short. They're all cut short. And he's watching this. He's seeing the fruit of their rebellion around him every day for 40 years. It's not just something that he heard about. I just heard about it, and then I just skipped forward 40 years. It's happening in the camp all around him. And it also he sees the children growing up who are meant to go into the promised land, 
grumbling and complaining and murmuring and being taught unbelief by their parents. He's in a bad way. And he says, the only reason I'm not going in is because of you guys, because of your lousy faith. <sighs> Gets to the end, something's got to change. Something's got to shift. First of all, he writes a song for them. But the song's sort of a little bit out of where he's coming from. Deuteronomy 31. God told him to write a song. Verse 14. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the time for you to die is near. So he's not old. He's not old, but he's about to die. You know, you got to... This is not pleasant. This is... The thing he wanted the most is to go in the promised land. The Lord's telling you, you're about to die. Call Joshua, present him yourselves at the tent of meeting, that I may commission him. That was not a happy time for him. Verse 19. Now, therefore, write this song for yourselves and teach it to the sons of Israel. Put it on their lips in order this song may be a witness for me against the sons of Israel. For when I bring them into the land of flow, land flowing with milk, and honey, which I swore to their fathers, and they have eaten and are satisfied and become prosperous, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and spurn me and break my covenant. This is not a happy. Hey, when you get in there, it's going to be amazing. He said, you'll get so rich and prosperous, you'll just turn to the other gods. I know what you're like. When you come about, when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song will testify. If you will sing this song, you will remember what I'm trying to tell you. For I've known their intent, which I had developing today before I brought them into the land which I swore. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the sons of Israel. He wrote a song in one day. And he, verse um, 24, came out when he'd finished writing the words of the, the law in the book until they were complete. So he puts the word, the law, this Deuteronomy, everything there. He says, this book of the law and its place put in the ark. Verse 27, I know your rebellion and your stubbornness Behold, while I am still alive with you today, while I am still alive, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more than after my death? When I die, you're just gonna, I've been restraining you. And when I die, it's just going to get worse. He is, you understand, this is not, not happy. Not full of faith. Um, for I know that after my death you will act corruptly, this is verse 29, and turn from the way which I have commanded you, and evil will befall you in the latter days. For you will do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger with the work of your hands. Wow, what an intro to a song. I've, and I've written a song for you. <laughs> it's all about how if you do not, you're just going to turn away from God, but you've got to stay fast. So it's all about the rock. Stay fast to the rock, stay fast to the rock, stay fast to the rock. Wow. What is, what, let's go to verse 51. I'm sorry, I'm taking time, but you, I want, got to get to the end. Verse 51, because you broke faith in me, Mo, now God's talking to Moses right at the end. He's about to die. God says, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the sons of Israel, at the waters of Merib Meribah Kadesh, in the wilderness of Zion, because you did not treat me as holy. You were unfaithful to the covenant. You did, not tr you did not respect my holiness in the midst of the sons of Israel. You will see the land at a distance, but you shall not go there into the land which I am giving the sons of Israel. God's not buying this because of you account. 
Do you understand? God hasn't bought me. Because of the people, it's because of Moses. He says, it's you. Oh, wow. I preached you into a pretty happy place there, so I can see. But something changes from the end of chapter 32 to the start of chapter 33. Something breaks. I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess here. Number one, God's rebuke to him breaks him. God's rebuke breaks him, and he owns it for what it is. And I'm going to take another guess. He writes a psalm. He writes a song. He writes a song about what he's feeling and the angst and what's going to happen to the children, people of Israel when they go. Because he said, I was, God, something's got to change. So he writes a psalm, and it's recorded as Psalm 90. So let's just read it as that is where he's at right now. He says, God, and can we bring this up in the New Living? It might just make it a little bit easier. It's being poetry. It's always a little bit hard to read in a tougher translation. I'll read it to you from Psalm 9, um, from the New Living Translation. This makes it a little bit easier. Technology is hard sometimes. A prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, through all the generations you've been our home, or you've been our dwelling place. Think Psalm 91 now. Think of what Psalm 91 means. Lord, you've been our safe place. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth, the world from beginning to end, you are God. You're the creator God. You created it all. And you know what? You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. He's, he's talking a lot about death in this first part. Do you understand why? Death is a big part of where he's coming from, what he's doing. And he says, God, I don't know whether you realize, to you it might just seem like nothing. Like our, moment, our time on earth is like a, an instant. To someone, you know, a thousand years is like a day to God. And he says, God, you might not realize that the difference between 120 and, and 70 years is maybe nothing to you, but it's a lot to us. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. For you, a thousand years are as a passing day, a brief as a few night hours. You sweep aside people like dreams that disappear. They're like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning it blooms and flourishes, but by evening it's as dry and withered. We wither beneath your anger. We are overwhelmed by your fury. You spread out our sin before you, our secret sins, and you see them all. We live our lives beneath your wrath, ending our years with a groan. For 40 years they are constantly reminded of that sin. 70 years are given to us. Some even lived to 80. But even the best years are filled with pain and trouble. Soon they disappear and we fly away. Some people say that's how long God has given to people to live on the earth, 70 to 80 years. No, that's nothing. To, you know, 120 was what Moses did and he could have kept going. The 70, 80 was the judgment people. They were dying before their time. That's why it was significant. Who can comprehend the power of your anger? Your wrath is as awesome as the fear you deserve. 
Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now, remember the prayer part. You know, he's just poured out his heart. Oh, Lord, come back to us. All I've seen for 40 years is the result of judgment. All I've, I've lived with the guilt of what I've done, tried to blame the people for 40 years. Oh, Lord, come back to us. How long will you delay? Take pity on your servants. Satisfy us each morning with your unfailing love, your, your chesed love, your loyal love, so we may sing for joy to the end of our lives. Give us gladness in proportion to your former misery. Replace the evil years with good. Lord, turn this thing around. Turn this thing around. Let us, your servants, see your work again, and let our children see your glory. God, do something. We cannot go on like this. We cannot go on like this. We cannot go into the promised land in this current mode. Do something, God. Change it. We cannot live like this any longer. So what does he call on? May the Lord our God show us his favor and make our efforts successful. Oh, God been a disaster up till now turn it around and let everything we put our hand to work and prosper and do good turn it around god turn it around turn it around moses said in order we can't go in in this current status we must go into the promised land and we must have this status on us and the status is that God actually says we're favored. Favored. It is a total transformation. It's now a new designation, a brand new label on us. Favored. Favored. What does it look like for the children of Israel to walk in under this favor canopy? He says, then maybe you could read Psalm 91 and you'll find out what it looks like. We walk in, and when they rise up against us, his angels gives us protection. It, it, this is a people now full of protection, full of blessing, full of the goodness of God. They're full of God. I'm not going to do it now. We'll explore it maybe next week or whenever God gives us time. He goes on. Remember I said that was end of chapter 32? He dies in chapter 34. What does he do in chapter 33? He pronounces a blessing over every tribe. He pronounces favor over them. He pronounces blessing over them. He declares what God is going to do. There is, when I read that, there, it's like a different man is writing this. He has just written a song of Mr. Angry Pants, but he comes to Deuteronomy 20, 33 and he begins to pronounce over every. He speaks to them with such, such hope and such excitement. And such expectation about what each tribe's going to do and what they're going to prosper in and how well they're going to do. Something has happened. They've, he said, Lord, favor. Favor has come to this people. Favor is not just a nice thing that we should say, oh, that'd be nice to add. We need favor to go into the promised land. 
It's how God intended us to walk. It's the life he gave to us. It's who we are. We are God's favorites. Am I, am I, am I, uh, which tribe I am I from? Well, I'm from the favorite tribe. <laughs> which tribe am I from? I'm from the favor. My tribe of favor. That's the tribe that's going to, God's going to put on me to get me through. It's, it's a, it's not just a, that's why I suddenly thought, oh, this is not like a nice thing to add. This is an essential thing. Moses said until God, he said, I, we must see this favor. We must see your, you look upon us with beauty and, 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 and change. There's got to be a change in the way that you look at us, God, so that everything we do, everything we do works. Everything we put our hand to works. We've got to go in because when we face the enemy, we've got to be able to bring him down. When I face sickness, I've got to be able to see sickness go. When I face lack, I've got to see provision come. When I see the enemy working, I've got to see him broken and his chains driven, broken off people. I've got to walk in his favor. I've got to have that favor. That favor is going to get me through. And God wants us to be his favorites. That's who we are. And that's not, that's not like, oh, you're just full of yourself. No, I'm wanting to get the work done. <laughs> I'm not going back to be a Deuteronomy 31 to 32, 30, chapter 1 to 32, grumpy, bumble, angry, seeing death and, and uh, I'm walking, I'm walking in, in the favor. Amen. I'm going into that promised land. There's something has changed. Something has, something has worked. Okay, thank you for allowing me to preach long to get that out. Hallelujah. I couldn't, I don't think I could have just done the end part without doing the first part. So please understand with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. We'll talk and, and explore what the Word of God says, how we walk in favor, how that favor comes, some of the benefits of those that favor, some of the, what it looks like. But we are ultimately here to take favor and use it to, in, in, to impact our world this week. Hallelujah. I want you to just begin to say over my world. I, speak to your world. What are you facing this week? Say, I'm bringing the favor of God into that situation. Hallelujah. I'm gonna, I am going to see. Hallelujah. 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 I have confidence because I'm under God's favor. I'm expecting life. I'm expecting answers. I'm expecting the enemy to be driven out. Hallelujah. When I lay hands on the sick, I expect them to be healed because I'm full of favor. Oh, that's who I am because I'm, I'm one of God's favorites. I might even be his favorite. But you can be his favorite too. Hallelujah. And it literally means that God literally smiles on them. Actually says, you're okay. See, that's what Moses needed to hear. He needed to know that God was good with his people. He just needed to know that God was good with his people. He was going to send them out, not to be destroyed, not to be crushed. 
You send them out with his favor. You're okay. Joshua's going to lead you in. We're going to get the job done. I thank you, Lord. I thank you for leading us into this week. I pray over. Why don't you just declare it over? What are you facing this week? You just declare, I'm a favorite. I'm bringing favor to this situation. I'm bringing, Lord, His blessing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, Father, I launch us into this week full of your favor. Lord, I thank you. You sent, Lord, the apostle to this house here to impart to us a special anointing of favor that you put on his life. Lord, that we could get the job done in this eastern region so we could get the work done this week. Favor in Jesus' name. Amen. Caleb, lead us in that.